This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This 27-year-old turned his passion for sports into a media company that's making $1.5 million a year. Having sold our own media company to Morning Brew last year, me and Simi spoke with Jack Selman, the founder of Snapback Sports, to get deep on what it takes to build a seven-figure content business. I responded to a thousand messages a day. If I respond to you, I've locked in a fan for life. So now I've got a quarter of a million diehard fans just based off of messages. Today's episode will include how Jack's business makes money, how to think about partnerships as a young entrepreneur, and how he would get started again with zero dollars today. Pick a platform and dominate that platform, and then build from there. The opportunities to make money with content are as fruitful as ever. So please enjoy this banger episode of Our Future Podcast by Morning All right, Simi, Jack Settleman for today's entrepreneur. What did you think of him when we, we talked to him? I thought the guy was a, a hustler. Like this guy has been grinding for the past six years. And what's cool about it is tons of people follow their passion within sports, but very few can actually make money from it. So he's built a seven-figure business, and I thought it was cool that like he's really made a name for himself. And that's how you discovered him recently. He was on an interview on ESPN. Dude, if there's ever like somebody who encapsulates just locking yourself in your apartment and building like an empire, it's Jack. Like I've talked to this kid a few times, every yeah. time, same like, you know, grayscale, like beige, like apartment wall, right? Like bro is like on ESPN. He's on like 10 Snapchat shows. He's doing all this content, that same drywall. I can just see it every time. So Bro's really, really cooking up from, you know, from his apartment and, and built, you know, a huge company. Um, just a high level overview, just for the viewers about his business. So he runs a company called Snapback Sports. It's a media company. It also has an agency division. So on the media side, Jack has a bunch of Snapchat shows. So that's where this entire company or originated from was these sports themed Snapchat talk shows and Jack being kind of the main creator in those. And that now they're doing kind of focusing everything on, on YouTube um, they have, you know, various social followings across platforms. They have a paid membership community. Uh, so really it's just this community of people who, who love sports. So we're going to cut to Jack talking about how the business makes money. And then, uh, me and Simi are going to react to it. Revenues probably anywhere, depending on the year, 1.1 1. 1 to 1. 1.5 million. We're in a typical sports media model where we're making a lot of our revenue through advertising. So I like to think of advertising in two fashions, one awareness two more in like a partnership. So underdog fantasy, which is our biggest partner, 
You saw me on their commercial, which ran on ESPN. That's an in-depth partnership where we want to bring players to play fantasy on their site, but also work with them to be in the content, to build their brand, build our brand versus awareness. Maybe Gatorade gives us some money to just create a piece of content and attach their brand to it because our audience might actually like to see Gatorade associated with it. So that's probably like 70, 80% of our revenue, which we're trying to flatten. Number two is going to be through any product we sell. So we have a super fan membership, which gets you access to our exclusive discord, gets you a hat and a pin, gets you, you know, AMAs, gets you like if we want to find our million fans, but then we want to find our thousand true super fans. So we have that uh, revenue model as well. And then content monetization is probably the other big one. So just by posting content on platforms like YouTube or on TikTok and their creativity program or on Snapchat, we're able to bring in money that way. All right. So any surprises for, uh, for how Jack makes money on his business? No, I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Like it's a pure play content business. He makes money through the awareness in the advertising aspect of it. What will be key for him is the membership in the engagement side of it, right? So um, he's trying to do these like exclusive events and the drops and like getting people to actually buy tickets, right? And I think what this highlights is like quality of revenue, right? Because when you look at it, when you talk about typical events, that's not necessarily high quality dollars. Um, but if you can get like subscriptions or anything that like will anything that can be something you can depend on month over month. Um, and it's actually built around brand affinity. Now that's high quality revenue. And I think he's kind of channeling into those revenue sources. Yeah. I think what any young entrepreneurs should think about advertising, it's very profitable revenue, very low quality revenue. And that yeah. it's typically not going to reoccur. Um, it's kind of something that you have to work towards every month to refill your inventory. So yes, great business line. I think a question young, some young entrepreneurs have is, you know, when, you know, should I do advertising or should, should I do a subscription business with whatever I'm doing, right? If it's consumer facing. And I think I would urge, it's a, it's a chicken and an egg problem when you're thinking about advertising because you need to have an audience first, but like uh, to get brands interested, but you know, you can't really invest in building an audience and building out your company until you have revenue coming in, right? So I would definitely urge founders, if they're thinking about any consumer business where it's amassing a group of people into an app, uh, onto a YouTube channel, whatever it is, figure out how to focus on that one individual person and make them a loyalist of your brand as opposed to trying to go for advertising first. Um, but again, it really just varies on your business. Yeah. And again, I think subscriptions are a lot easier when it's a very engaged audience, right? Like getting someone to actually pay to read or consume your content is a huge thing. So if you can even get five mm. subscriptions, 10 subscriptions, be very proud because someone cared enough to actually pay for it. Yeah. I think it's the, it's the advertising focused media companies that all got crushed. Right. But if you look at the athletic, right, sold for $500 million dollars. And that was like a subscription first media company. So I, I think subscriptions were kind of slept on in that, you know, zero interest rate, uh, um, you know, advertisers spending a lower market. But now media founders and creators in general are really understanding the value of subscriptions, which is why like platforms like OnlyFans and uh, FanFix, which we covered on our past episode, have really thrived. The true founding story, senior year of college, I go to Texas OU 
and I just start posting on Snapchat thinking I can kind of be like the house of highlights on Snapchat. They weren't on that platform. And this was before vertical content really existed. Instagram stories had just launched. And I thought that capturing sports vertically made a lot of sense. And I had access to that. And as someone who grew up watching SportsCenter, one hour on Saturday, every single Saturday, and then I watched the rerun, I was like, well, if I can condense this into three, four minutes and just value add for our audience, like, I think I could create something here. Started to see a lot of traction with it super early on, which was really encouraging. And then I started to build a real community because my angle, everyone needs an angle in business. Like you said, like what value does this bring? My angle was that I was actually just like the rest of them. So I didn't talk down to them, which I think is a lot of like our, you know, TV commentators and personalities these days. They're the experts. I'm not trying to say I'm an expert. I'm just trying to voice an opinion and people wanted to be heard. Yeah. So the thing about sports is that the audience is extremely passionate, right? Like this is not someplace they're going to, to learn. They're trying to be, they're trying to have fun at the end of the day. So if you can connect them with something that gives them joy, yeah, they're going to like engaging with you. They're going to continue supporting your content. Um, is that how you think about it too? Yeah, I think the whole idea of like talking to your customers is something that's mostly celebrated in like, you know, product focused businesses, tech businesses. You know, there's some yeah. great stories of like the founder of Pinterest, right? Like in the early days, there's 6,000 users. He's sending a message to every single one. Like there's so many great to Airbnb. Um, Paul Graham told him, your customers are in New York. Go and talk to your customers. Go out, fly out to New York, get out of Silicon Valley. Um, so there's so many great stories about founders making that sacrifice of like their time to just truly understand the people that are making their business work. A thousand messages a day though is insane. And you've got to have some serious battery and you got to be seriously freaking passionate about the product and community you're putting out to be able to do that. So maybe it's a litmus test. If you're not willing to talk to, you know, a hundred of your customers a day when presented with the opportunity, maybe like this isn't a business that you should pursue. Is that wrong to say? Well, I think it's one aspect to do it from a customer service lens. So you're just trying to learn what it is they like, trying to connect with them. But I mean, over time, that's not the strategy that makes the most sense. I mean, my mind automatically is like the kids should have hired a bunch of VAs, you know, on a relatively affordable basis, have these <laughs> yeah. like definitive templates laid out and then you can just like go, very, very large in terms of the volume um, uh, of outbound and responses yeah. that he's doing. Dude, I recently heard this, uh, somebody talking about it because they're on the inside, OnlyFans yeah. world. There are, most of these girls are responding to messages throughout the night and it's just VAs in the Philippines, right? <laughs> I know. Like when... That's crazy. <laughs> so people think that they're speaking to the girl. And you know what's funny? They might actually know it's not her, but ignorance is bliss. So why even tell yourself that? You know what I mean? I w listen, I wouldn't feel as bad as about that strategy in sports. I feel like that that's way, way cooler to do that uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, go Brewers, right? Like, it's, yeah. not, it's <laughs> not like, wow, like, I love you. <laughs> yeah. That's so fried. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Bryce Harper too, bro. And then the next thing is how he talked about adapting sports content for Snapchat, for this vertically native audience for Gen Z. And yeah, it worked because no one was doing it, right? When you think of media and content, you need to think about it from a product perspective. A lot of people try and class media companies separately from other, you know, maybe tech businesses, software, whatever. It's product market fit at the end of the day, right? Um, you might be passionate about something and will your content business into, into existence, 
because you're just going to grind a YouTube video every day or whatever. But there also needs to be some tact and some strategy to be like, I'm going to fill this hole and I'm going to come in with a strong angle, right? Um, and I feel like that's what we did with our future and, you know, creating high quality business content that, you know, the Wall Street Journals and Bloomberg's of the world weren't serving to people on TikTok in a way that they could understand. Totally. And I think if you're going to go build a media company, you need to focus on creating content for one platform. I know with TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, it's like, let's just repurpose across platform. But each one of those platforms works so differently. So pick the one you want to win on long term and really focus in on that. And you can continue repurposing and it's just kind of like cherry on top of the cake kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like if it works on those other platforms, great. Yeah. But at least the one that you really want to win on, you're focusing all your energy there. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue into Jack's next statement, which is about his dependence on Snapchat early on and how he's pivoting away from it. So let's cue it up. I always give advice, right? People are always asking, oh, I want to be a creator. It's the new hot thing. I always say, actually go directly onto one platform and start there because most people will spread themselves too thin. Most people won't understand that you need to create a different form of content for each platform, right? Like a tweet has to be very different than a blog post and a podcast and a TikTok and a YouTube, right? So pick a platform and dominate that platform and then build from there. So we did that probably for too long. We stayed way too dependent on Snapchat. Over the past probably 12 months, we have made a very big concerted effort onto YouTube, like pretty much shifted the entire business and any money we invest back into the company right onto YouTube. So we partnered with Marlon Humphrey. We launched Punchline Podcast, where I sit down with him once a week and we talk all things NFL, his career, what's going on around the league. And most people, you know, Punchline Podcast think we would care about the podcast, all we do is push towards the YouTube channel because I think that's a better discovery platform. Yeah, I think that was a great example where he didn't necessarily have a long-term outlook there. Right there, it was just like Snapchat is giving the most money for the content being created and it was all viral clickbait stuff. Um, so I think he just like fell in the same trap most young entrepreneurs do, which is like, oh, I think I can make a lot of money from this. Like, I don't need to think three, four, five years out. Like, let's just get all the money we possibly can right now. Dude, I feel like it's not that hard to find an arbitrage, right? Whether it's content related, money related, right? Like suddenly you're finding a way to print money as a young entrepreneur. But eventually like that revenue stream will die out or it'll be competed. The profits will be competed away by more players. So I think that's a big moment of reckoning for, for young entrepreneurs is, is when that exciting revenue channel that you found and took ownership of as your scrappy hustler self fades, you know, where do you go, right? And for, for Jack, he's had to rewrite his entire business. He's now focused almost entirely on YouTube from being a Snapchat media company for five, six years, right? So there may be a point that comes where you need to pivot and kind of ask yourself, you know, what business am I building and how do I set it up for a sustainable future? Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of luck that goes into it too. If you were say a short form video creator, when TikTok was just coming out um, and you focused for there, you would be a tremendously large creator by now. You would have had a ton of success. You would have captured a lot of the ad dollars that were being spent in your niche. The issue is, is that you just don't always know that, right? So if you're optimizing for YouTube, which is a platform has that has been around for decades, like that's not going anywhere. In the same way that like, if you're gonna spend 
uh, money on paid ads, if you're running an e-com brand, you should be focusing on meta, right? Like that is the one proven channel that has shown that it is consistently worth the, 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 the juice is worth the squeeze. Um, so I think that's a little bit of the right. trade-off and the bet you have to keep in mind, which is, yeah, you can go win on an emerging platform, but like it may not exist a few years from now. And I think that's kind of like what Snapchat did is they pulled the rug underneath a lot of their, these creators, which was like, Hey, you know, we're actually not making so much money from you guys. So we got to change up the split. And now all the creators are like, we're screwed. Now we have to go find another platform. Well, look, no one's better equipped to answer this question than the senior director of emerging platforms. at Morning <laughs> So great sentiment. There. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's queue up the next clip from Jack and uh, we'll react to it in a sec. That partnership that you think is going to change your career likely won't. The draw that you think you're going to get from that bigger entity isn't all that it's chalked up to be. Because if it was, they probably wouldn't be using you. They'd be using their internal stuff a lot of the time. Uh, on the flip side, what I would say about, you know, you asked about these partnerships. We always use this example when we talk about this stuff. We did a deal with Gillette. It was $7,500. It was probably... Let's say it was like eight months uh, after COVID. So like early early to late 2021, early 2022, $7,500. If we were to post the content that we did for Gillette now, that's probably like a $100,000 deal. So we massively, massively undersold ourselves on that one. But for one reason, the campaign included Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Cole Komet, and my, you know, unshaved, horribly, horrible ability to grow a beard. And then every single, you know, deck going forward, we use the Gillette logo and a piece of content from that to pitch ourselves. And so I think building up your brand and sometimes, you know, undervaluing yourself. And then we over delivered like crazy. You think this partnership is going to be life changing. You think working with this big glamorous company in your industry is going to like change everything. The truth is not like you look inside these big organizations and like, it ain't all pretty and sunshine in there, right? Like, you know, we being in media, we're like, oh my God, what would it be like to have a podcast with Morning Brew, right? Or like being inside that larger organization. And like, you know, you find that these large companies are just as resource constrained in their own way as, as you are with your own startup. So it's a big, a rude awakening, I think, uh, for any young founder betting on, you know, that big glamorous partnership. Well, the best thing is just having more options, right? So if you're not desperate on that one brand or one company to keep you alive or the the people that can change your destiny, the better off you'll be. Um, yeah. There was like a recent MFM episode on how like the best thing you can have when your company is being acquired is multiple options, multiple strategic partners, multiple people that yeah. you could go pursue a joint venture with. Um, and I think that rings true, but sometimes it's hard, right? When you're in a place like sports, how many you know sports media organizations exist on the same level that ESPN does, right? So that may be a constraint that you just have to deal with. The second thing is, is that I would argue if you're building a new company, try to find spaces that just have a lot of capital uh, investment going in there because I think you'll come across less of these challenges of them being resource constrained. So if it's something that they're actively pursuing, like you have to figure out like how high is this on their priority list? Is this something that like can be a, a company defining move for them? Like it, it can change the direction of the the entire company or is this something they're just like, 
a little interested in it because I think that impacts like budget allocation more than anything else. And so I think, again, yeah, you can approach it in two ways. Either make sure it's very high priority on their list of items that they're thinking about, or yeah. you just go to a space where there's a lot of money coming in and you know they're going to have to spend it. So probably yeah. my, my two, two tidbits there. I would respond back by saying that the main value of a partnership is the optics, right? Sometimes the actual quality of the business partnership might be lacking. And for young entrepreneurs to get a deal like that in the first place, they have to undervalue themselves, right? There's very few young, small companies that get a fair deal. I think we can all agree on that, right? So um, using that, that deal to create more revenue with other organizations and other clients, partners to create more options for yourself down the line is a huge play, right? And that's what exactly what Jack did with that Gillette story. So, you know, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, uh, undervaluing yourself and then over delivering and then constantly kind of upgrading your partnership over time. Um, I think that more young entrepreneurs should think like that and not ice themselves early by pricing too high. That being said, don't do shit for free. I've seen a lot of young, talented entrepreneurs do work for some big company or some big influencer because they admire them a lot and just want to get it, their foot in the door. The problem with that is then you do something for free, people come to expect it, and then you ask for money and they look at you like you're a, a homeless person outside 7-Eleven. You know, it's not good. Yeah, I think it depends on how you look at it. If you're trying to learn, I don't think there's an issue with working for free, or if it's someone that can open a lot of doors for you in the future, not to make it transactional, but it's like, hey, you know, I have this particular skill. I know that this person needs this. If I do a great job for them, maybe they'll come through for me in a different way. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that's going to lead to like a pay increase for you or a higher salary, but you know, there's kind of levels to this too. Well, I think I've already mentioned this before, but like Warren Buffett was trying to get a job with like, you know, this legendary investor, Benjamin Graham. And he's like, I'll work for free. And Ben was like, yeah. nah, like your price is too high. In my opinion, if you're doing work for free, then your work isn't like, you're probably not creating a strong value add to the organization. That well, that's if you're trying you're, to learn oh, from them, right? Like that oh. is an example of like Warren Buffett was trying to be mentored by this, you know, legendary investor. I'm saying like, hey, this is someone who's very well connected or maybe has access to capital or some other resource that you don't have. You can mm -hmm. help fill a specific gap for them and they can get you closer to your end goal, whatever that might be. I would start building on YouTube. I would think about what's my angle. This was such an eye-opening experience for us because like I talked about, the engagement of our audience was second to none. So when we launched our initial podcast, the Snapback Sports Podcast, we sent so many reviews and ratings to the podcast app store that we went to number one on the sports charts. Like that, I'm trying to show the level of engagement. And so we started getting 4,000, 6,000, 10,000 podcast downloads an episode being number one on the charts. But we kind of gained the system. And so as time played out, and it was just me and my buddy recording, no video, no social clips, like just promotion from our pre-existing audience to the podcast, the numbers start to drop. And why is that? It's because the quality of content around us started to skyrocket. Instead of two dudes who never played you know, anything higher than high school athletics, it was former athletes talking about it. It's ESPN-backed podcasts. It's Barstool, who's got this entire network, who's able to overtake us. And I had to look myself in the mirror and be like, well, why is that? Well, it's because we don't have an angle. Start playing a video game. But instead of just playing and thinking that someone is going to want to watch you play, 
Figure out your angle. Are you the funniest video gamer? You could be. Are you the best video gamer? You could be. Are you the most creative? So instead of playing Madden like everyone else, you're playing Madden, but every video is you trying to score a touchdown with you know a quarterback running 99 yards and compiling that, or going back and playing Madden 7, Madden 08, Madden 09. So what is your angle? That's the biggest thing, but I would definitely start on YouTube once you figure that out. Yeah, I agree. It's so important that you have like your own unique angle. At the end of the day, what he's getting at is a comparative advantage. What makes you better than all the other options in the marketplace? I will say when it comes to content, the challenge is, is that if you find a shtick that works for you, you get ripped off so quickly. So what you really need to be good at is creating new kinds of content and being at the forefront of any kind of trend, yeah. right? So it's like, okay, you're going to be the first to, to hop on, you know, a new story when it comes out and you're going to put your own little spin on it. But the goal is like your angle needs to have a little bit of defensibility so you can't just be copied out of the marketplace. Right. That's so true. You know, uh, I, I think that way about our videos, you know, it took us a while to, to have our editors you know, create videos, our future videos as sophisticated, you know, as they are, you know, it's the biggest question anyone asks us. Um, there are small moats, there are big moats. Um, I think it definitely varies. And it's hard to be truly defensible when you're a young entrepreneur rushing into a, a kind of a new market. Because typically, young founders are the ones with that intuition to identify that thing while it's early. And then they have to last through maturity of the market, which I think is, again, going back to what I said earlier, one of the hardest things once a revenue stream kind of dries up or gets more competitive, right? You know, for us, the whole idea of making these videos with B-roll animations, you know, more people just kind of jumped into the market. They kind of up-leveled us with, you know, the green screen format and stuff. That's just one example, right? So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, creating moats are definitely hard. Um, but if you don't have a moat, you need to be ready to pivot or at least figure out what that next revenue line is for us. We ended up diversifying into agency stuff, but you know, there's, there's definitely more angles to go with. There's, there's options. And I think you bring up a good point, which is like, how do you take maybe something that doesn't have a moat, but it's working right now and leverage it into a, a bigger opportunity of some yeah. sorts. Right. So yeah. I think in this specific case, like what Jack is doing is like, he's going all in on like, the specific membership-based community, right? Because that's something that people are paying for and they can provide events or they can provide resources to this like very engaged audience and passionate about sports in a way that very few other audiences can. I don't know what exactly his roadmap looks like here, um, but I think that's the, the real play is like, you know, I can't defend myself against this content, but it, it gets attention right now, but I can make like, you know, an invite-only community that only the most exclusive or like premium sports fans have access to kudos to jack and all the effort and the insane battery he has to create the amount of content that he does so yeah i think this is kind of a good little test of a new format guys yeah. let us know what you think this is another episode of our future podcast again mike and i love doing this week after week we're trying new things we're in the arena if you don't like this let us know why um but we'll catch you again next week with another episode of our future podcast stay frosty Subscribe on YouTube. Peace out.